Welcome to the Stay Ready Real Estate Podcast, where we stay ready so you don't have to get ready. My name is Emeka, and I'll be interviewing a variety amount of professionals in the real estate industry to help you buy your next real estate investment. At the end of each podcast, I'll give you three actionable steps that you can do today to help you get 1% closer to your goal to get in that next property. My goal with this podcast is to show the world that regular people like you and me can buy properties to build wealth. Today, we have Shane Deckard. Shane is a licensed professional civil engineer and has his Bachelor's of Science in Civil Engineering with a minor in Spanish. He also has his MBA in Marketing. Shane has 16 years of experience in the military, consisting of work in building management slash maintenance, design, and construction. Shane has taken his own development projects, turning land into profitable Airbnbs as as well as ventures and rental properties. Shane is also a proud father, an avid runner, and a rock climber who enjoys spending time traveling the world with his family. Shane started his real estate investing career in 2018, purchasing his first rental unit in California. He now owns a portfolio of residential rental units and is a limited partner in over 150 units. Shane is also a GP for three properties in Florida, totaling 54 units, playing a major part of his asset management and CapEx project management. Let's listen to Shane, everybody. Shane, nice to have you. Can you tell the, the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Hey, thanks, Mecca. Yeah, so I guess for my day job, uh, I am in the United States Public Health Service, and I'm a civil engineer. So I uh, build and maintain mostly medical clinics, dental clinics, hospitals uh, throughout the country. And when we deploy, it's, it's throughout pretty much the world, you know. So and with multifamily, I'm primarily the the projects guy, the civil engineer slash project manager who manages contractors and, and pretty much our CapEx budget and whatever we need to do to make the property better, uh, whether it be deferred maintenance, beautification, or anything for code compliance, that kind of stuff. So cool. thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem. You said CapEx. Can you explain a little bit about what that is? Yeah, uh, capital expenditures, basically projects, uh, bigger projects. We usually like to classify them as anything over $2,000, $2,500, sometimes over a thousand, but they're typically the projects that you save money for when you're raising money for, for to purchase the property to do that turn to, to essentially flip it and make it a, a decent property to, to live in, you know, to make the tenants happier to comply with any permitting, you know, typically with the septic or electrical up to code, that kind of stuff. And then just beautification, uh, you know, projects like landscaping and trying to to come up with a budget before you buy a property, uh, you know, whether it be 50000 to 400000 to spend that money typically right away. But then you have, there, there's usually three phases. There's the deferred maintenance, like windows not operating, air conditioners not working, that kind of stuff that you really want to take care of ASAP. Then there's your... When, when needed projects like renovations, when a tenant moves out that first year or year two, three, four, you want to renovate that. Or just if something loops out in, in, in that first few years. And then there's the back end of CapEx, which is the money you want to save in case something big happens, like your septic system goes out or your roof, you know, your roofs are going to die in the within the next five years, but not yet. So you're not going to replace them now. Once you start 
seeing some shingles come off or, or a couple drips in the ceiling, that's when you finally decide to use that money to replace the roof. I see. So earlier you said raising money. So when would you be raising money? Before you buy the property. So usually, you know, say you find a, an apartment and you finally negotiated it with the seller and broker and you have it under contract. So you always need to raise the money for your down payment for, for the loan. And the syndication, contract. right? And it's in, yes, exactly. It's syndication. But it, whether it be a syndication or JV, you're going to want to raise additional money for those capital expenditures, those types of projects. So you do all that bef typically before you close on the property. You don't necessarily need your CapEx money when you close, but it's very nice to have because then you have that money in the pocket to start doing these projects day one. Perfect, perfect. So you're a civil engineer and you know, I'm sure that takes a lot of your time and I'm sure it also does, does well for you. What made you even want to get into multifamily? Why was that a thought? I feel like it's, it's a great way to use my skills and kind of like you, Emeka, I've noticed you've got a lot of hustle in you and you're always, you're a doer, you're always doing something and getting something done. And especially when someone asks, you know, so I, I have that same mentality and uh, about six years ago, my wife told me to to look into real estate because she saw that I had that drive and and I did. And eventually that road led from, hey, we should buy houses or we should buy duplexes to why don't we just go big or go home, you know, and, and do the biggest part, which is commercial real estate. And so I I got into the Jake and Gino Wheelbarrow Profits program and started and they sort of realized they 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 showed me my skills, you know, Bill Ham, one of my mentors showed me that what I have to bring, you know, or what, what I can bring, because typically as a general partner in a deal, whether it's a syndication, or if you're a main partner in a joint venture, you gotta bring something, right? You, you have to have that a skill, whether your boots on ground, kind of like you are on one of our deals, or you're just a, a go-getter or you're engineer or you know about maintenance or any of that type of construction stuff with contractors how to work with them or are you just good with the books you know you're good and you're good managing a team yeah so did you buy any single families duplexes quadplexes no you just mentioned that did you do that before jake and gino or afterwards i i got through one duplex and then i realized it's a lot of work and people were telling me and as was as i was in jake and gino and people were telling me that's the same amount of work to have a 10 unit or a 50 unit, you know? So why do two when you can team up? You you could do a duplex on your own, but you're never going to, it's going to take a lot longer to get there. It's going to be a lot more work and it's all on you. But when you syndicate or joint venture, you're right, you have a team and it's, it's a, you could tackle more. It's almost exponential. One person can manage a duplex, right? But five people can manage a 50 unit. So you've just multiplied your units by 25 that you can, you can have. So it, it's just, it's, it's a great way. And that's, that's what the program and what I've realized too, having a few deals under my belt, it's just better. It's easier to have a team. You guys rely on each other. You make each other accountable. And at the end of the day, you could tackle these bigger properties. I love it. And you, you made perfect sense there. But what about those who are just getting started? They don't really know anyone in the real estate or they don't actually know anything about real estate. And you're saying that to go big, you need a team. 
how do you find your team? How do you find these people to trust? And how do you find these people to rely on? Because you're in Colorado, so and you have investments in Florida. So what do you do to make sure you can rely and trust people on your team to do their job? I think the first, it's always hustle, just working very hard. So in, in the beginning, your hustle is geared towards finding the right partners, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be joining a group or just networking, kind of like what you did in Mecca. That's how we found each other and through and with Nico. It's it's just always talking to people and finding the right partners and knowing what you have to bring. Like if you know if you have money, you can get into a deal, but you but but you have to know people, you know, to with the deals. If you live in Florida like yourself, that's cool, but you have to know people who have who are getting brokers to send them deals and stuff, kind of like how Nico was for us. And for myself, it was just that, you know, I was taking trips to Florida, going to meetings meetups and just finding people and also just realizing that you mesh with them, you know, and and that's what makes a great partnership is humility and the, the willingness to pick up if someone can't do something and, you know, praise them when they do do something and, and just always being there to do not just your job, but, but any job that isn't being done or can't, or, you know, that you have the capacity to do for me in Colorado, anything on the computer I can do, even though it's not my <laughs> job in our syndications or, or on our asset management, you just be willing to do that. And that's how you start. You you show people that. And and then eventually you get a project and or contract under your belt and you start knocking out these CapEx projects or collecting your rent and flip, you know, repositioning the property and showing that what you do works. And then you stick with that team and start getting more deals. <laughs> exactly. And I love to see it as like a business because for a business, for you, to, let's say someone starts as an entrepreneur or builds a business and then the, the trap that happens is they're in the business and it's not scalable. Well, if you leave out the country to take a vacation, if that business is not going to work or not going to live, it's not a good business. So I would say it's the same mm-hmm. as a syndication where, you know, we all have lives. We're not trying to just be doing this forever. Can someone else pick up the slack and can it still survive without you for a short amount of time? And I love that. And speaking, you know, we don't want to be doing this forever and hustling forever. You look about 20-ish, 25, and I'm sure you don't want to be a civil engineer and be hustling forever. So what are your goals to multifamily? What what, what do you want to do, you know, let's say 10, 20 years from now? Are you trying to be a civil engineer until death? Are you trying to be, you know, a GP till death? Like what's, what's the end game for you? First, did you just say you thought I was 25 years old? Maybe, maybe 26. <laughs> I'm honored, man. You know, I'm in my late thirties, dude. <laughs> so, so you just already made me feel good doing it on a Saturday morning, but no, my, yeah, kind of like you, I've got a job, you know, and, and, you know, I, I, I started out in the air force and then I switched over to public health service. So I'm technically, it's still, I'm, I'm in the military getting that 20 years that everyone hears about, you know? So my end goal is to hit that 20 and stop working. And so as a result, I've been doing multifamily and it's it's way more work than I ever thought because you have a full-time job, kind of like yourself, mm-hmm. but you've also got these other duties, which are so, res- I mean, there's so many responsibilities and so much weighing on your shoulder with multifamily, which takes up my lunches, my mornings, you know, sometimes there's, well, pretty much every day last week was a 5 a.m. call. I wake up at 4.45 and 
get on a call for an hour. Uh, but that's just what you have to do before you start work, when you're on your lunch break, after work, weekends. But I know doing all this will pay off for my family because like you said, I don't want to do this forever. I have a, a five year plan, which is to retire from the military and hopefully be positioned well enough to have a full-time job and multifamily, which I love because if I didn't have a job right now and I was just doing multifamily with our, our deals we have right now, it'd be great because I could, I could work my own hours. That's, and that's essentially what I'm doing now. I'm working 5 a.m. and lunchtime and this. But if I could just bundle that all into, say, wake up late and do like an 8 a.m. start till 11 every day, that would get it done, you know? And then, and then I could really scale and get more and more deals because I have more time. I love it. And the reality is like the things that we do, it takes time, but it takes more time just because we're doing other things. And was it the, I think it's a four-hour work week. I think that's the book. But a lot of people in multifamily, I would argue, can get a lot of the things they need on a daily basis done in, in about four hours because you just got to talk to certain people, check up on the certain things. And then at night, maybe just do an overview to make sure those things got done. And then now you can go, you know, play disc golf or go hunting or do whatever you want because, you know, most of your day is done. So I love the idea of the, the control that you have with your life with multifamily. That's kind of why I'm doing it as well. So what I know you invest in in florida do you invest in any other places as well i don't you know i i used to live in california my family's from there and i i really thought about it because when, when you're buying residential you know one to four units it's it's a lot easier if you live close to your property because then you have you can you can sort of manage them yourselves but california is just not the place to <laughs> for me to own rentals because the tenant laws are way in favor of tenants, you know, take COVID, like during COVID, they said tenants didn't have to pay their their rent if they couldn't, but then they weren't, the government said that, but then the government wasn't paying landlords either. So the bill fell on the landlords. I, I know a couple friends who invest in California and they got hit pretty hard with that. Florida just seems like the best place. I know there's a lot of other good places, a lot of good states and areas in the country. But for me, my my in-laws all live in Florida. We go there, you know, at least once a year. And I just know it. And and I know you could hit the 1% rule still in Florida. It's what we did on our recent deal. Emeka, you know, we're we're over the 1% rule where 1% of rent is is hundred is your rent is one percent of what you purchased the unit for, you know. So if you're charging a thousand bucks a month, you can and you pay a hundred thousand for the unit. That's how you meet that one percent rule. And it it still seems like a good place to to buy uh, because of that. People are still moving there, even though there's insurance is going up. And they say you know there's a lot of the the ocean's gonna rise and you know <laughs> sink. that's not yeah yeah the, the Tampa or whatever is sinking Miami. But you know that, that hasn't quite hit insurance yet. So we're still doing good. <laughs> Sounds good. So for the new investors, it's kind of crazy to see how someone can invest over, you know, over state lines. How how do you determine where you want to invest? Well, you know, if you're in America, in the United States, you can get an LLC in any state. So you can invest anywhere. It doesn't matter. I determined where I wanted to invest based on 
just some market research and just knowing like where, what, what's the best bang for your buck. And that's where I really started was where can kind of like the 1% rule, where's the lowest you can purchase a property with the highest rent in the country. You know, of course the highest rent's probably going to be in like somewhere in California or in New York, but you're also going to pay a lot of money for that unit. Whereas in say, Tennessee or Texas or Florida, tons of other places, you can buy a property for low with with a higher rent ratio in that in that sense. And that's what made me choose Florida. Uh, not only that, but like a lot of multifamily investors are in Florida, Texas, and in other areas. So you kind of look for that as well. Like where are the, the big players and the small players, where are they all investing in? And for me, I, I just saw I chose Florida over Texas or say Tennessee or anywhere else because my, again, I go there and my family lives there and, and I also have contacts like yourself there. So yeah, the boots on ground part is, is pretty easy when you have someone like you. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. And whenever I first got started, I was like, okay, what can I do? What can I do? Where can I invest? Would you say there's a, a perfect time to invest? Would you say, should people wait or is the perfect time yesterday? I think anytime is a perfect time because I, I started multifamily in 2019 and I didn't get my first deal until last December. So it took late 2022, you know, and, and I thought the same thing, like, oh, this is a horrible time. This is a horrible time. But, you know, my mentors kept pushing me to, they're like, no, just keep, keep going with it, you know? And, and of course we all know Nico Salgado. He's, he's a shark, man. That dude, he, underwrites deals and we we when we partnered up in 2020 i think he underwrote 250 deals till we got our first property and i you know i was with him underwriting them and stuff but but he did a lot of that work and we lost a lot of money and uh we lost fifteen thousand on a wholesale deal oh each. wow and that was that hurt because we were two days away from closing and our property didn't appraise because they appraised it wrong they appraised it as residential instead of commercial but we didn't know. They didn't tell us. So, you know, it stung. And obviously, and that was in 2020. And you think, this isn't for me. Multifamily, it's not the right time. But I look past that. I look past the market cycles and whatnot. And I don't think there is a bad time to buy. I don't think you need to wait. Or I think just getting started now, because the main goal when you're starting out is getting your first deal and getting that experience. And there, there really is no bad timing besides today or yesterday to start doing that. Yeah. And as long as the numbers work, there's always a good time. And exactly. I like to say, don't, don't listen to the news. I mean, news is all about viewers and news makes news is a for-profit business. So how do they make money? They make money by people clicking on their links, clicking on their website, subscribing and saying bad things and headliners. So people can be in tune no matter what the truth is or not. And I want to dig in a little bit about the, the money that you and Nico lost. So it sounds like you lost about 30,000. I know a lot of people who are listening to this saying that if they've ever lost that much with anything, they would probably stop, stop investing. Real estate is the, the worst thing in the world. Don't ever do it. What made you continue to look past that and continue to invest? And you know, whenever you're doing due diligence, you have to put hard money down. You have to put non-refundable money down. So how were you able to look past that and look at the big picture? 
know, that was when I lost that money, or actually when I started with that money, you know, putting that money in, I was hesitant. And Bill Ham told me, you got to pay to play. And it's, it's true, you know, kind of like what you said, you lose, you have non-refundable money with every deal, every contract you go under, it's very risky in the beginning because you, you haven't inspected the property yet, yet, but you have to pay anywhere between, you know, 500 to 3000, depending on how big the property is, you have to pay that money to inspect it, to know what you're getting into. So that, that money's gone after you inspect it because they've already done that service. Now, what you get with that inspection is a report of here's how good your property is and here's how bad it is. And usually the bad stuff, you you try and uh, if that stuff isn't in the original disclosures that they're, or the offering memorandum, then you go back to the sellers and the broker and you say, hey, you didn't tell me your septic system was failing, you know, and here's our report on it. And then they say, cool, we'll we'll let's talk about it. Let's give you a concession or deal with it. And then you have to decide, do I now want this extra cost without them giving me a concession for it? And that's typically what we ran into a lot of these items. And then we, you know, if, if you go out of contract, it's for a good thing. You don't want to buy a property with these items you didn't know about when you were first bidding on it, when, when now you have to pay for them. So that's how we lost a lot of money in the beginning. It, it kind of hurt. It stung. After that, after that big loss I told you about, my wife was like, that's it. You're just doing a limited <laughs> partner the rest of your life. <laughs> but then, you know, this, this little shooting star came across on our, and our first deal landed on our lap. And again, I was skeptical. I'm like, we're going to go under contract. It's, <laughs> it's going to drop after we hit our inspection or the appraisal, you know, and, and we lost money again, but then it, it worked out, you know, and, yeah. and now here I am, I'm not an expert or anything. I've only got two deals with three properties, one with you, Emeka, and, and it's going great. You know, it's, now I'm, now I'm instead of in the desperation mode of, dang, I want that first deal. I'm tired of losing money. It is, all right, now I got some deals. It's occupying my time. I got some experience. Brokers are coming to us and the deals just get easier because we're getting that this unit, that this property that we just bought, Emeka, that was off market. Yeah. And that was from the same broker that, we bought our last property from. So this would have never happened if we hadn't have closed on that first property. I love it. I love it. Now we're going to go into the next segment of the show where I ask the same three questions I ask everybody. So number one, what was the most impactful speech or lesson that helped you in your real estate career? I think it is, you know, I learned from, from Wilbur Profits that you need, there's three things you need to succeed in real estate, but you, most people can only do two of them. You know, it's, it's hustle, money, or time. And you really only have two of those. I just had hustle and time. I didn't really have the money. I mean, I kind of a small fish. I could, I, I but like it, it's, it's that, you know, or you have money or time or money or hustle. And, and I focused on the two things that I do have you know, I, I made the time, a lot of sacrifice with my family, weekends, nights, waking up before they wake up, you know, like I said, at 5 a.m. to get things done. And then just, just being relentless on working, just doing stuff when it needs to be done and getting it done quickly. Kind of like yourself, Mecca, you say you're, you're one thing that stuck with me with you is you said, 
I will always get do somewhere, be at a property within 12 hours of someone asking me, mm-hmm. even if it's not your property. And that goes a long way. And, and you've held true to that for the last nine months that I've I've known you and been working with you. Yeah, so gotta find that, your value. <laughs> exactly. Find your value. And knowing for me, it was knowing which of those three, the two of the three things I have that that I can provide. And it I knew I didn't have the money, so it had to be the other two. And and I need to make the other two work, you know, the time and the hustle. <laughs> exactly. What are two books you'd recommend an inspiring investor to to read? I would say, you know, the the obvious, Rich Dad Poor Dad. That's what I got started with. And I've I've recommended that to my friends. And the two friends I recommended it to recently ended up investing in in our recent deal. So it's kind (laughs) of, it's great for reading yourself and recommending it to other people to, to make them your investors, right? And then, gosh, the, there's so many other books. I, I can't name a second, but, you know, it's, it's really the World Moral Profits, their first, first book that they came out with, I think it was in 2015, talking about multifamily. Because I've read it pretty much every single family or residential book, investor book you can name. Mm-hmm. But once I read their book, Apartments, it, it was over from then. And then Bill Ham came out with his and, and it, it just all made sense for me. I see. If you could have dinner... With anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I'd say my grandpa, my opa. He passed away about 20 years ago. I'd lo- I would I want to have dinner with him now that I'm an adult again, mm-hmm. just to, because he was such an amazing man. He was in the Vietnam War and World War II before that. And his stories are just amazing. But he passed away when I was in high school. And right as I was getting to know him and old enough for him to tell his stories and his perspective on life. So I love that. I love that. And now you've you've grown up to a, to be a, an amazing man now. I guess you're not 25, 26 anymore. I'm sure he's very proud. Thanks. So how can the audience reach out to you if they have any questions or see where you're up to? Sure. Well, my email is shanedeckard at gmail.com. I also have my multifamily website, marathoncommunities.com. And then you'll just reach out any which way on Facebook, Shane Deckard. I think there's only two of us there. I'm, I'm the one that's not living in Canada, uh, <laughs> you know, Instagram, whatever. And uh, yeah, just reach out and, or, or reach out through Ameka. <laughs> we'll put you in That's contact. Good. Well, thanks Shane. I appreciate you uh, joining the show. So until next time, I'll have you back in about another quarter or so. That was Shane, everybody. At the beginning of the podcast, I told you I'd give you three actionable steps that you can do today to get your next property. But before then, please like, subscribe, and comment. Like I said in in the podcast, Shane is my partner. So I'm able to actually see firsthand exactly what he does and the importance of what he does. So with these three steps, I'm going to give you real life examples and real life things that he does that will help you for your future. Step one, talk to your local city or county. Depending on where you are locally, it might be in an unincorporated area and an incorporated area. Talk to the city and ask about permitting. See what the process is. Come up with any kind of idea. Do I need a permit to get a roof? Do I need a permit to get a new bathroom or build a new bathroom? So the reason why you're doing this is to actually see how long it takes. So whenever you're ready to get your first investment, if you're hiring out subcontractors or you're doing it yourself, you actually know how long it should take to get the process. Number two, go to buildzoom.com and you can see the permits being pulled from different contractors. So if a contractor tells you he just got a permit to get 
new gutters, whatever it is, you can go and build Zoom and actually ask because it typically is up to date when these contractors get permits. And number three, network, network, network. This isn't the first time I've mentioned it and it's not the last. Network your butt off. You need to meet as many people in the industry, contractors, realtors, insurance brokers, lenders, and other investors as much as possible. I tend to reach out to people at least once or twice a week and schedule a video meeting so I can see face to face. Until next time, see you later.